Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. I'm glad you're still with me. My mom told me that she's looking forward to some cheerier subject matter. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually take Greek tragedy when I was in college, but I had friends who did. Their big takeaway from the course is that it gets really depressing by the end of the semester. And then once we're done with Euripides, we'll get some Roman takes on these plays. Hopefully we'll get some cheerier comedies soon, but not today. Today is another tragedy day. And another from Euripides, who is so <laughs> Euripides. Heracles, or Heracles Minomenos, the madness of Heracles. Um, you also might find the title translated as the Latin Hercules, um, but again, we're still working from the Greeks, and he's Heracles in Greek. I'm using the E.P. Coleridge translation. Um, it's old, but serviceable and freely available online. Um, this is one of the few of Euripides' plays that I don't own. Uh, my mom actually asked me if there was something she should suggest to my sister-in-law as a Christmas present. I said Seneca's tragedies so that I'll have them in print before I need to start reading them for the Roman tragedy series. Um, and fortunately for me and that request, my sister-in-law has a degree in classics too. And she went to a different school than I did, so her program was, anyway, we had different programs, so we learned some different things um, with the same overarching humanism that classics teaches. But I digress. <laughs> but seriously, if you want to give me a present, either a gift card to This Is a Bookstore, and I'll order from them, or just ask me what's missing from my library and support your local indie bookseller. Where was I? Right, I was talking about Heracles, the Euripides play, not the character, although obviously, of course, we'll see him in this play. Um, like many of Euripides' plays, we don't have an exact date for this one. It's um, from around 417 or 416 BCE, probably. Um, it premiered at Dionysia and won nothing, so typical. The play is set at Thebes in front of Heracles' palace. Um, the characters include some familiar figures, Heracles, of course, and Theseus, who we've seen in numerous tragedies, and Megara, who you may know best from Disney's iteration of her, a character I love, and I will do my best not to burst into song, as tempting as it may be. Um, she is Heracles' wife, which if you've seen the Disney movie, you probably would have guessed. Um, Amphitryon is Heracles' stepdad. Um, is that what he'd be called since Zeus is really Heracles' dad? Um, the man who's married to Heracles' mom, Amphitryon. He's there too. And there are the children of Heracles and Megara, but they don't have speaking roles. So they are a physical presence, but they have no lines um, or names for that matter. <laughs> um, Lycus is the current king of Thebes. Uh, so he plays a role in this play too. And the final named characters are two goddesses, Iris and Madness. So you know things are all going to turn out just fine. <laughs> oh, and our homogenous chorus is made up of the old men of Thebes. Uh, so with that, we'll take a short break before finding out what happens to Heracles when madness comes for a visit.
The play opens to find Amphitryon, Megara, and the children on the steps of an altar to Zeus that stands near Heracles and Megara's house. Um, Amphitryon starts the prologue by asking, who doesn't know who Heracles is? I mean, do we really need to tell you about all the cool things he did? But he does talk about a few of them. And here's what you need to know. Creon was the king of Thebes, and his daughter is Megara, who is right here, obviously. She married Heracles. Cool, nice wedding. Amphitryon kind of killed this guy named Electrion, so he was banished. So he was exiled to Argolis, but Heracles worked out a deal to pay Amphitryon's debt to society. And, well, you know all about Heracles and his monster slaying. That's not particularly important to this play. What is important is that there was this legend that someone named Lycus would become king of Thebes. And this guy from Euboea named Lycus decided that the legend meant him. So he killed Creon and usurped the throne. So now Megara and her children, and Amphitryon too, are in trouble. And Heracles is no help because he's still off trying to dognap Cerberus from Hades. Um, Megara provides her two cents, which don't really add much to what Amphitryon has already said. Unless you're in need of more angst, she does increase the angst. The chorus enters, singing a song about being old. Um, They greet everyone who is already on stage and comment about how the children look just like their father. (sighs) Lycus and his attendants enter. Lycus is a real charmer, and starts right out by asking how long Megara and Amphitryon plan to try to stay alive. Do they really trust that Heracles is going to come and save them? They should just let Lycus get on with killing them so that he can get on with his life. I mean, if Heracles were really all that, then Lycus wouldn't have been able to kill Creon and take the throne so easily. Amphitryon argues, describing some of the cool things that Heracles has done over the years, uh, not because he wants to defend Heracles, but because he wants everyone to know how stupid Lycus is. Oh, and if he were still young, oh, Amphitryon would have taken care of Lycus himself if he were still young. Lycus rolls his eyes at this speech and tells his servants to gather wood so that they can take care of the family by just burning them out, or up, or both. Both would be good. Like I said, he's a charming guy. The chorus leader gives the servants a piece of his mind, telling them that no true Theban would follow the uh, follow this outsider who has usurped the throne. Megara thanks him for this, but she says that if they have to die, they won't die in such a cowardly manner as what Lycus is currently working on. Amphitryon argues that his only wish is to protect his grandchildren. Megara agrees, but if they must die, she wishes to prepare them, dress them appropriately, so that they'll be ready to cross the sticks. Lycus rolls his eyes, but agrees to let her go into the house to do so. Megara and the children exit, followed shortly thereafter by Amphitryon, and Lycus exits to oversee the gathering of the firewood. The chorus sings about great heroes and how Heracles is among them. A nice little taunt at Lycus, even though he isn't on stage to hear it. Megara, Amphitryon, and the children enter. Megara asks who is going to do the deed. They're ready. She then speaks to each of her sons in turn, telling them to be brave and that they will make their father proud. She speaks of what she had hoped for their futures, the weddings they won't have, all the things that she and Heracles had planned to give them as they grew up. She tells them that the cowards are the people who would kill them, because it is cowardly to kill women and children who aren't strong enough to fight back. I think she must be from the Midwest of Greece because she is 
awesome at being passive aggressive. Amphitryon prays to Zeus that they might be spared, and who should Megara see coming? It's Heracles! He enters. He apologizes for being late. Theseus was stuck in Hades, and Heracles couldn't just leave him there. Megara fills him in on everything that's happened while he's been gone. The coup, how Lycus wants to kill them so that their children won't try to avenge their grandfather's murder, um, that everyone thought Heracles was dead. Heracles says that he'll take care of Lycus. What kind of hero would he be if he did all of the things Eurystheus asked of him, but didn't defend his own children? Amphitryon tells him that he should pray to his house, pray at his household altar first, and they all exit into the palace. The chorus sings a song about how great Heracles is. Amphitryon enters at the same time as Lycus, and Lycus says it's about time. He'd like to get on with the killing. Amphitryon tells him that Megara and the children are inside at their household altar. Lycus tells him, well, go and get them, but Amphitryon refuses. Lycus grumbles that if you want to get a job done right, you have to do it yourself, and he exits into the house. Amphitryon tries not to laugh at who Lycus will find inside, and then he exits into the house too. The chorus sings a happy song, especially once they hear the sound of Lycus being killed within. Their song is interrupted by the deus ex machina entrance of Madness and Iris. Iris introduces Madness, daughter of night, and herself, Iris, messenger of the gods. Hera still hates Heracles, so she's sent Madness for a visit. Madness is frothing at the mouth in her excitement to go and cause some trouble, and Iris sets her loose to go into the house. Both goddesses exit. The chorus's happy song turns into a lament. A messenger enters with horrible news. The children are dead. In a long, detailed, explicit monologue, the messenger tells the chorus how some sort of, shall we call it madness, came over Heracles, and thinking they were Eurystheus, he turned on his children, killing each of them, and his wife Megara too. He probably would have killed everyone in the room if Athena hadn't appeared and bashed him over the head. They've tied him to a column that fell over in the melee. He's asleep now, but what will he find when he wakes up and recovers his senses? The palace doors open to reveal what the messenger has just described, Heracles bound to a broken column, still asleep. Amphitryon steps out. He tells the chorus to let his son sleep. It's the last time he will know peace in his life. But Heracles does wake up and he's confused. He's not sure how he wound up tied to this column. Amphitryon explains, and Heracles is heartbroken. He doesn't want to live anymore. But before he can do anything, Theseus enters. Amphitryon fills Theseus in on everything that has happened. Theseus then speaks gently to Heracles. He's really the therapist in a lot of Euripides' plays. Um, I mean, we see him with Medea. Anyway, sorry. Um, Yeah, Uh, he convinces Heracles not to kill himself and invites him to come to Athens instead. Um, Heracles decides to follow Theseus' advice. He asks Amphitryon to bury his children and then come to Athens too, where he will care for the old man as a son should care for a father. And Theseus and Heracles exit. The chorus says that they, too, will go their sorrowful sorrowful way, and the play ends.
hope that you weren't too attached to Disney's take on Megara. I mean, she is kind of awesome in Euripides' treatment of her, but not quite the same way as how Disney treats her. Um, I have several friends who really can't stand Disney's Hercules, and I love them, but I don't know what's wrong with them. I think it's delightful and hilarious. Maybe it's a classics major thing. Anyway, I do remember when it came out and my fellow triumvirs and I looked at each other and said, isn't Megara the wife that he killed? (laughs) Yep, that would be right. And this play tells a version of that part of the Heracles myth. Um, I do wonder if a reason that Euripides didn't win as many prizes as Sophocles and Aeschylus is because several of his plays are disjointed. Um, And this is another one that really could be two different plays. There's the whole Lycus story, and then there's the whole Madness story. And they only make sense together because of the proximity in time between the two stories. Um, Lycus is the big bad in this play, and he dies about halfway through. And the arrival of Iris and Madness just seemed randomly out of the blue. Um, But that could be part of the point. Madness can strike seemingly randomly. Um, Heracles gets a lot of different treatments over the course of Greek literature. In Sophocles, we saw him as a bit less faithful, um, but that was also a different wife. That was a story that took place after this one. In the comedies, he becomes a buffoon, sometimes almost like a precursor to the Miles Gloriosus type that we've looked at in Roman comedy. Um, Euripides presents a very innocent Heracles. Until Madness enters his house, he is a loving husband and father. And once Madness has left, he is heartbroken. He is a good man who is tossed around at the whim of a vengeful goddess. And this is kind of in keeping with Euripides' pushback against the religious mores of ancient Athens. As much as he loves the trope of the deus ex machina, the gods he flies in aren't always benevolent. Um, As far as Theseus being the savior at the end of the play is concerned, well, that's just more Athenian propaganda. And honestly, that could be a third play (laughs) to itself. Um, Of course, Theseus shows up to help out. He's the king of Athens, and Athenians are always on the side of right. Um, And there is one more thing that struck me at the end. I actually had to go back and reread the last page multiple times as I was writing the summary. Um, And this relates to the stage directions. Now, admittedly, most of our stage directions were added later. Um, They weren't just, they weren't a common thing to be noted, um, which is why reading comedies can be so difficult. Um, it can be hard to understand them because we don't have that description of the physical part of the play always. And comedy can be very physical, right? Um, but anyway, this is not a comedy. This is a tragedy. Um, there is no stage direction for Amphitryon to exit at the end. Um, so now, I'm not a director. Um, but I have done a lot of theater over the course of my life. Um So I want to know if you, as a director, would have him exit, or would you just have the curtain fall? Because, you know, yeah, there was no curtain in ancient Greece. These theaters were out, they're gorgeous theaters, outside, you know, open air. It's not like a curtain could fall at the end of a play. Um, But we can do that now. We have prosceniums. We have have modern theater characteristics. 
I'm inclined to the latter to have the curtain fall with him still on stage because that means that when the curtain rises, he is on stage. And when the curtain falls, he is on stage. And I feel like it makes a nice bookend. Uh, but I'd love to hear other directorial visions and concepts on why to leave him on stage or why to have him exit. Um, I, it, I, like I said, this is not something I do. And I, I know I have friends out there who listen to this who are directors. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, come over to the blog and, and, and join the discussion. Um, that is one of the discussion prompts that I did include in the blog about, about this ending. Um, you can find that at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Wednesday, we will read book 12 of the Odyssey halfway through. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.